Well, we've been talking about the healer. We've been talking about how if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And what Jesus did was a complete expression of the character of God. And that God's will is for you to be healthy. God's will is for you to be healed. And that healing is a settled fact forever in the kingdom of God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus bore our sicknesses, he carried our diseases, and by his stripes we were healed, past tense. Jesus is not in the healing business anymore. You want to know why? Because as far as he's concerned, it's settled. Jesus is not in the saving business anymore. You want to know why? As far as he's concerned, it's settled. Salvation has come to all men. It's up to us to embrace that great salvation. Right? Jesus isn't saving people anymore. He's done. He's seated. He's seated. He's sitting at the right hand of God. There is no longer a sacrifice that needs to be done for any man or woman to be saved. There's no longer a sacrifice. There's no longer something that you have to do to be healed today. Why? Because it's done. It's finished. It's a finished work. And we have to learn how to embrace it. We have to learn to, how to receive this finished fact, this finished truth that is Christ Jesus the land that was slain before the foundation of the earth. In Habakkuk, not tobacco, Habakkuk. I'm sure you guys uh, read this one quite often, read this prophet quite often, but in Habakkuk 2.14 it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. A lot of people say that this is a future tense thing. When Jesus comes, sets up his Millennial reign and the glory of the Lord is going to be covering the face of the earth. I disagree with that, and I'll show you why here in a little bit. I believe that this is right now. Because it's not saying that one day the glory of the Lord will just all of a sudden appear. It says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is here. Even in the Old Testament, there was the glory there was the glory of the Lord that shone itself in the tabernacle. There's the glory of the Lord that showed itself in the tabernacle of David. There's the glory of the Lord that showed itself in the temple. Right? Jesus Christ was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the glory of the Lord shined. And it came from within him out, not down. The glory of the Lord is here. And what we have to do is we have to awaken to the knowledge that the glory is here. Just like this morning during worship, some of us felt the presence of the Lord here. And if you didn't feel the presence of the Lord, that does not mean he's not here. He's here. You just have to awaken to that knowledge that he'll never leave you. He's never forsake you. Even when you feel like in the darkest days of your life where it feels like God is millions and millions of miles away and wants nothing to do with you. You have to walk by faith. That he said he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Start magnifying his presence. Start magnifying the truth that he is here. And soon you will experience that truth. And the same thing is with everything with God. We walk by faith before we see it in the natural. You know, this glory, everybody wonders what the glory of the Lord is. What is the glory? And the people talk about glory clouds and all this stuff like that. But the truth of the matter is, I really like God's definition of the glory. Remember Moses? Moses says, show me your glory. And what did he do? Did he make the mountain erupt? 
Did he do some magnificent thing? No. He said, he put him in the cleft of the rock, and he says, when I walk by you, I'll let you, I'll let you see my goodness. The glory of the Lord is the goodness of God. Isaiah said in chapter 6 that he's seen into the spiritual realm. And he heard the angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth is filled with the goodness of God. The whole earth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his goodness, filled with the glory of God. Awaken to that truth. Awaken to that. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For it is the, is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What was the whole earth going to be filled with? The knowledge of the glory of God. What is that knowledge of the glory of God? What is the knowledge of the goodness of God? Jesus. Jesus is that knowledge. Jesus is that knowledge. And I love what Paul's doing here. It says, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness. What he's talking about? He's talking about Genesis. When God said, light be, and light was. There was darkness, there was judgment, there was chaos, there was nothingness. And God said, light be. Let my presence be. What do you mean, my presence be? Well, he hadn't created the sun yet. He hadn't created the moon yet. He hadn't created the stars yet. What was that light? It was the glory and the, and the, and the presence of God flooding that existence. And the same thing is what happened to us when we embraced Jesus Christ as our Savior. Life, light, glory be in us, in our hearts. The glory of God just dwells within us now. The glory of God dwells within us now. The light begins with the knowledge that the glory and power of God's saving presence has appeared in Jesus Christ and now abides in them that believe. Those that have embraced it, those that take it as truth, those that actually affects the way that they live and the way they think and the way that they talk, that glory resides in you. You are filled with the glory of God. You are filled with the goodness of God. Hallelujah. That's good, That's good news. Look, look at what Malachi says. Malachi 4.2. But to you who fear my name. Now what does it mean to fear the name of God? Does that mean to tremble and to hide under the bushes? No, that's what Adam's problem was in the first place. He feared God and hid himself. No, fear means to reverence, to take someone seriously, right? We take God seriously. We love God. We fear him, right? But to you who fear the name, my name, the son of righteousness, 
shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Like stall-fed calves. Stall-fed calves. You know, my family, um, we have a family that attends here, um, Bud and Kathy, and uh, we just, I never thought in a million years I'd own one, but I own a calf. I own a feeder calf. And uh, they have a pasture, and, we, and a, a couple of us have calves out there, and we're raising them. Um, but ours aren't stall-fed calves. Ours are grass-fed calves. We're trying to do the grass-fed thing and make it, trying to make it so it doesn't cost a lot of money to do it. We do give them some grain, but, uh, but ours wouldn't be considered calf-fed or stall-fed calves. But you know what? You're supposed to be a stall-fed calf. See, a stall-fed calves are, are pampered calves. They don't have to forage or do without. See, ours have to, has to go out and find clover, find good grass to eat, all that. You should see them when we bring the grain out there. They come a, come a running. These calves, these calves don't have to come running. They got the feed sack in front of them day and night. They are sheltered from the storms. They don't have to find shelter. They're taken care of. Water is brought to them. And it's saying that when, when, this, when, the, the, when the righteousness, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, we shall be like these stall-fed calves. They have all their needs supplied in abundance without the dangers associated with being alone in the field. So this picture is a picture of the Lord taking special care of us. But how often, just like a calf, do we kick down the gate and try to, think, try to do things on our own? Think it's better out there, and you don't know how good you got it. You're not, will, you're not willing to wait for the farmer, for the rancher, for the Lord to come and feed, your, feed you. Not willing to wait to be taken care of by God. But we bust loose and try to do things our own way. God wants you to be a stall-fed calf. He wants you to be a stall-fed calf. He wants to take care of you. And he has done it in Jesus Christ. This is what this is talking about. This is a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He is the son of righteousness. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Hmm. Notice that it's S-U-N. That seems wrong. It should be S-O-N, shouldn't it? We know it's talking about an individual because it says, shall rise with healing in his wings. But why is it S-U-N? I think what, what, the reason why the Holy Spirit told the prophet to put S-U-N instead of S-O-N is because he was painting a picture. When the sun rises, it casts its rays upon everything. There is no place that it doesn't experience the sun. And the sun is constant. Even at night, it's out. We say, oh, the sun just came out. No, it's always been out. The sun has always been out. 
This healing of Jesus has always been out. It's constant. The sun is always out. Even at night, we, we, through the moon, we, we see an image of the sun. The moon doesn't have any power to give light whatsoever, but it just reflects the light of the sun. Just like the earth is filled with the glory of God, the sun of righteousness is always shining with healing in its rays. The sun can shine, but clouds can block its rays. Have you ever experienced those days? you ever experienced those days where a storm comes in and it gets so dark, it gets so dark that you think that the night has come? And the sun has went away. But do you know if you could get in an airplane and fly up and break through those clouds, you would see that it was a beautiful day. At 30,000 feet, it's always a beautiful day. You know that? But these clouds come in and they block the rays and they hinder us from receiving the warmth of the sun. They hinder us from receiving the rays of the sun and the light of the sun. And just like the clouds can block the sun that's always there, constant, never changes, so too clouds can come into our life and block a God, a, a, a Savior, Jesus Christ, that is constant, always there, always healing, and hinder us from receiving. And we need to break through those clouds. We need to break through those clouds. There's different types of clouds. There's cumulus clouds. Those are the white, fluffy clouds. You know, the kind that you're laying there and it's nice and warm and, you, and then all of a sudden a cloud goes in front of it and then all of a sudden it gets cold. And then the cloud moves on past it and then it's warm again. So there's clouds like that. They just seem to block it just for a second. And you notice that something's different. Something's changed. But then, oh, there, there you are, Lord. Notice that, the, that God doesn't change. Notice the sun doesn't change. It's just how we interact with him that changes. Then there's cirrus clouds. These are thin clouds, kind of wispy clouds. But they can also block rays. And then you have stratus clouds. These are the storm makers. These are the dark clouds. These are the clouds that are thick and full of rain, and it can black out the sun and make it feel like there's no sun left. And just as, they, as there is different types of clouds that can black out the sun, there are different types of hindrances that can block us from receiving from God. There's things that can hinder us from blocking, receiving the things of God. There are things that can stop us from receiving the goodness of God that is constant in Christ Jesus. And right now, I just want to put this on the forefront. If you're sitting here thinking, oh, no, there has to be a hindrance to me from receiving from God. The reason why I'm not receiving is because there's a hindrance. The good news is this, is that God, in a blink of an eye, can evaporate any cloud. Just as easy as saying, peace, be still. In the boat, in the wave stopped, the sun came out, the wind stopped blowing. God, in an instant, can bring peace into your situation. Jesus is the calmer of the storms. But there are things, we, there are things that cause hindrances from us receiving 
receiving from God. And we've talked about, the first three of these we've talked about, but we need to go over these over and over again until we get them, until we understand them. The first one, the first kind of cloud that can come in and darken and cause you to not receive from God is a lack of knowledge. Is a lack of knowledge. You would be amazed at how many Christians do not know that God wills for them to be healthy and whole. How many Christians don't? Again, we read in the Bible, it says we didn't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. How many Christians don't realize that there is the Holy Spirit that they can embrace and receive the power of God in their lives? Hmm. A lack of knowledge. We read this in Hosea 4, 6. Very common scripture used many times. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. Most of the time we only quote the top one. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. There are people out there that are allowing the world and the fallen nature of Adam to have its way in their life, allowing Satan to have their way in their life. Why? Because they just don't know any better. They think this is, this is the way you exist. And one day when we get to heaven, in the sweet by and by, everything's going to be good. I just got to endure. Well, sometimes there is some enduring, but you do not have to put up with. Jesus gave us authority. Authority over the circumstances of this world. He redeemed us from the curse of Adam. Amen? Amen. So some people just don't know. And they're easy, easy to break those clouds up. But then there's other people that just reject it. And I'm not talking about people, since we're talking about healing, not, I'm not talking about people that just reject the idea that God would heal anybody. I'm, I'm talking about people that just you know, subconscious or consciously around us, you say, yeah, I believe God's a healer. I believe God healed me. I believe God can heal me. But in their, in their, in their subconscious, they've rejected it. They don't really believe. They don't, haven't embraced it as this is truth for me. See, so often we allow our circumstances, we allow our circumstances to dictate what is truth. If, if the Bible is really true, then why is my circumstances like this? And we question the truth, we question the Bible, because we believe our circumstances more than the Bible. It's time that we flip that around and question our circumstances because the truth says this, because the Bible says this. We need to question our circumstances rather than questioning God. That's, the, that's one of the issues that Job had, and we're going to talk about him a little bit today too, so have, we're going to have lots of fun today. So this knowledge, you need to have the knowledge of God. And then also you got to not reject the knowledge of God. Romans 10, 17 in the voice says, So faith proceeds from hearing as we listen to the message about God's anointing. You'd know it better as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That, that, word, word, uh, that word God is Christos. It means Christ, the word of Christ, the word about Jesus Christ. That's where faith comes from. The word of God produces faith. We live in a day and age where you can... Huh, I'm not even going to talk about what Bibles are on your coffee table and on your bookshelf. you got 20 Bibles, 20 versions of the Bible on in, in your phone. We, have a, we are in a time period where you can be in the Word of God as much as you want. There is nothing hindering you. And truthfully... 
I say this with love, but if you're not in it, you're rejecting knowledge. You're rejecting it. I'm telling you, no matter how good I preach, an hour on Sunday morning isn't going to get you through the six hours of garbage we watch on TV and the six hours or the hours at work we're talking with non-believers and the hours that we sit in the doctor's office and all these things. You need to be in the Word for yourself. You need to search the Scriptures. You need to be, build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Pray over the Scriptures. Expect the Holy Spirit to teach you and lead you and guide you into all truth. Faith begins and ends where the will of God is known. And if you don't know the Word of God, you don't know His will. You can't know His will. And that not knowing His will is another hindrance. 2 Peter 1.2, grace and peace be multitude, multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? By having knowledge of God, having knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he's done. Healing comes by God's grace. See, we're in the new covenant now. We don't earn healing. We don't have to go dip seven times. We don't have to do a sacrifice of some turtle doves. We don't have to do any of that stuff. Jesus Christ was the sacrifice. It's by grace, not by works. In the Old Testament, for almost every type of sickness in the Old Testament and every curse of the law, there was a corresponding sacrifice that cleansed you from leprosy. Remember, Jesus told the leper, go offer yourself the sacrifice that Moses commanded. See, God was always in the healing business, even in the Old Testament. You just had to have the faith to go do the sacrifice. But we're not in that covenant. We don't have to do something. We just have to embrace it by faith. Trust in the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.19, we talked about this last week. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We're supposed to know this. The lack of knowledge we're talking about here. The lack of knowledge of the Word of God. Lack of knowledge of God's character and who Jesus Christ is and His grace and His peace and His mercy. And a lack of knowledge of the love of God. Most Christians are perfect at that first part to know the love of God or the love of Christ. To know it. Yeah, I know. God loves me, man. God loves everybody. No. That's not enough. It says that you may be, uh, which, which passes knowledge. Mere just mental assent. Just saying that God loves you, but not ever experiencing God's love. We're supposed to know the love of Christ, which passes just head knowledge, and to the point that we experience his love in our life. It's a tangible thing. It's a life-changing thing. And once you experience the love of Christ, you will know because it will change your life forever. It will change your life forever. So these hindrances, one of the clouds that can block us from receiving from God is we don't know God's word. And that's where faith comes from. We need to know God that is revealed in Jesus through grace and faith in the new covenant. And we need to know God's love experientially. We need to know his love experientially. Another, 
another hindrance or a cloud that can block the rays of the sun of righteousness that has healing in its rays and its wings is uncertainty concerning God's will. So many people think, well, if God wants to heal me, then he's just going to heal me. And I don't, it might be his will, it might not be his will. And you can't pray in faith without knowing the will of God. Third John chapter 2, we've, we've shared this already. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Above all things, God wants you to be in health. That's his will. What's so hard about this? I just have such a hard, difficult time. I don't understand. I don't understand how people can ever say, because of an experience, to question God. Like he's our problem. I know myself good enough that if I have an issue in my life, I'm the problem. This is God's will. God's word is his will. And, and he actually says that he, his will, his word is higher than his name. See, this is where a lot of people don't understand. They, you know, this, this sovereignty of God that nothing happens without God controlling it and all that. You know, could God do anything he wanted? Could he manipulate you like a robot and do, make you, force you to do anything? Yes, he could do that, but he chooses not to do that. And actually, he has stopped himself doing, to, from doing that because of his word. He gave you free choice. He gave you the option to choose. He limited himself through his word. And he says that his word is greater than his name. You know what? That, that's, we don't understand that in this day and age because our word isn't worth much. We'll exaggerate. We'll lie. We'll tell untruths without even thinking about it. But for God... It says it's impossible for him to lie. So after he has declared something, after he has established a covenant, after he has done something and gave the dominion and authority to man in the earth, he can't go back on his word. He's saying that if my word's no good, then my name is no good. So that my word is above my name. First John Chapter 5, 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. Knowing God's will to the point, we need to know God's will to the point that we believe. And this belief looks like confidence. You should be so confident in your God. You should be so confident in his word. You should be so confident that he's going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. Confidence, boldness, to be bold. If you're confident and it's God's will for you to be in health, if, it's your, if you're confident it, for God that it's God's will to heal in other individuals? You want to know what that looks like? You'll go lay hands on the sick and see them recover. 
right? If we really believe, if we really believe that God's will is for you to be healed, if you really believe that God's will is for you to walk in health, if you really, really believe that on the cross, Jesus bore our sicknesses, he carried our diseases, and by his stripes we were healed. If we really, really, really believe that, we do what Jesus told us to do. Lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That's confidence. That's boldness. The same thing with salvation. We, we, if we, we should be sharing our faith. And I'm not talking about knocking on doors and doing that stuff. I'm talking about when you're in a situation and your heart starts pounding and you know, I need to say this. I need to pray for this individual. But you lack confidence. You lack confidence. It's all right. God still loves us. I've done it. We've all done it. If you're confident... You're going to walk these truths out. A third, a third cloud that can, can block the healing rays of the Son of Righteousness is a misunderstanding of old co- the Old Covenant law. Old Covenant laws, which really amount to wrath and curses. Wrath and curses. See, so many people think that we're still in that old covenant law. We think, we think that we're still in the wrath and curses of the law. We read, we pull out excuses and we pull them out of the Old Testament. So-and-so died. So-and-so didn't get healed. So-and-so didn't do this. God sent plagues. God sent sickness. God sent calamity. God sent war. Yeah, he did. You want to know Why? Because man was not able to keep his law. And you know who chose to be under that system? Those men. On Mount Sinai, God appeared and asked them. He asked them. After he, by his grace and mercy, delivered them from Egypt and provided them for them in the wilderness, he asked them, are you able to keep my commandments, my statutes that I give you this day? And they said, we are well able. They should have fell on their face and they should have said, who is able? Who is able to be righteous? Who is able to be holy? Who is able to keep your law, your statutes? Have mercy, have grace upon us, O Lord. But just like today, we're no different. We want the law. We want to judge ourselves by the law. I'm, I'm well able to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, you might keep nine of them, but I'm sh- pretty sure that envy, jealousy, have you ever lied? And James t- tells us if you're guilty in one point, you're guilty of it all. So even the good that you know you're supposed to do and you don't do it, it's a sin. This understanding, this old covenant, and who, who we are in Christ today, Romans 4, 14, and 15, for if those who are of the law are heirs... Faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. So truthfully, if you're going to be under the law, you cannot walk by faith. Because the law is not of faith. It is of works. It says right here, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law brings about wrath. 
For where there is no law, there is no transgression. The law brought sin into the world. It, it brought a pen, penalty, a penalty for your sin and brought wrath with it, the wrath of God. You understand that? And the wrath of God is just an extension of God's love. How can the wrath of God be an extension of God's love? Just like a spanking is an extension of a father's love. They weren't, they had, they weren't born again. They, they were living by the law. It was do good, you get good. Do bad, you get beat. But we're no longer under this. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. You know what this is saying? It says all those curses, all those things that you've seen God do in the Old Testament, he's not doing anymore because Jesus Christ has been made that curse. He took the full blow of the curse of the law upon himself. You can't blame it on God no more. You can't pull those Old Testament scriptures out and say, well, look what God did here and here and here. Yeah, he did that there. But look what he did to Jesus. And a matter of fact, he didn't really do it to Jesus. It was the wages of sin that did it to Jesus. It was the wages of the law. It was the curse of the law that did that to Jesus. Actually, my Bible says that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. He did it to himself. He's a good dad. He's always been a good dad. He's been full of compassion and mercy and goodness. The glory of God. You can't use those Old Testament scriptures anymore. Romans 5, 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Have you been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ? You've been saved from God's wrath. Hallelujah. You can't say it's the wrath of God. You can't say that God's doing it to you. We've been saved from God's wrath. We need to break these clouds up. Number four, sin and living in known, habitual, unrepented sin can be a cloud that hinders you from receiving from God. Now you're thinking right now, wait a minute here. You just said that God's not doing it to me. You just said that I'm redeemed from wrath. Right. But we still live in a fallen earth. God's not going to do it to you, but sin sure the heck is going to. The wages of sin is death. And how many know if you live in sin long enough, your marriage is going to die? If you live in sin long enough, your finances are going to die. If you live in sin, habitual sin long enough, your health is going to die. Your emotions are going to die. Your well-being in your mind is going to die. Sin still has consequences. God's not doing it to you. But sin that you're allowing to work in your members, in your flesh, will do it to you. God's grace has freed us from sin, not to sin. Amen? You're no longer bound by sin. And in John chapter 5 
to verse 9. It says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. So no, longer, no matter how long you've had an infirmity in your life, even 38 years, it's no problem for Jesus. 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had, al- he had already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? See, when someone's in a condition for a long t- period of time, they have created an entire lifestyle around that condition. And Jesus wanted to know, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but when I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, I love it, he just cut him off. So this guy's saying, I can't, I can't get healed. I can't. Someone always gets in front of me, has all these excuses, and then Jesus says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. That's amazing to me. I mean, most pastors would get, you're so mean. Someone comes up and you just ask them, do you want to be healed? And they, they start saying, oh, I went to this, had this person pray for me. I had this person do this. Whatever, I've, I've been asking God for all these years, and it seems like God heals this person. And, they, and the guy just cuts them off and says, rise, get up, and walk. That's confidence. That's boldness. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and he walked. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So what had had caused this issue in this man's life? Sin. Sin. But let me tell you, sin can't stop the power of God. Sin can't stop the power of God. Sexual transmitted diseases, how, how do those come? Sin. HIV, AIDS, how does that come? Most of the time by sin, right? Do you know people can get healed from every single one of those? Their sin cannot stop the power of God. Their sin can't stop the power of God. And he says, now that you've been made well, stop living like that. So something worse don't come on you. Sin has a wage. Sin has a payment. And it's to rob, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. Sin no more, at least the worst thing come upon you. There is sin that, ca- that causes, causes issues in our life that can hinder us from receiving from God. And we just need to get the sin out of our life. And now, that's so simple. It's saying, Lord... Forgive me, I repent. That means change my mind. I believe this is sin, and give me the grace to break it. There's also the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping. And this is one of the oldest laws established in the Word of God. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. The law of sowing and reaping. And so many people understand this law. The world calls it karma. (laughs) Right? It's karma. In Galatians 6, 7 through 8, it says, Do not be deceived. 
God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap everlasting life. And right now, right now you're reading that and saying, wait a minute, I thought God isn't going to do it to me. I thought God isn't going to bring wrath on me. I thought he's not going to bring judgment on me because of Jesus Christ. Read it again. It says, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Not from God, will not reap from God corruption. He reaps it from your flesh. If you want to live in the old man, in Adam, if you want to live according to the ways of this world, if you want to live and sin and sow to your flesh, you're going to reap that from the flesh. But if you want to reap from God, if you want to reap from the Spirit of God, he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And this everlasting life doesn't mean the sweet by and by. It means the Zoe life of God in your life right now. We are exper- I'm in everlasting life right now. And you are too if you're a believer in Christ Jesus. You're as dead as you're ever going to get. Your spirit has been made alive in the likeness of Christ Jesus. Amen? So where does this reaping in the flesh come from? It comes from your flesh. It comes from the law of sowing and reaping. It comes from this fallen world and this fallen existence that we live in that has been purchased but not redeemed yet. Hmm. Let me be clear. Not all sickness is the result of personal sin. Just because someone has sickness or someone has something bad that happens in their life doesn't mean they must have sinned. See, that's the problem. So many people think that that's the only law that they know is sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. Well, what would happen if you didn't do something? Right? Adam brought sin and sickness and death. And Jesus came to reverse it. And we live in a fallen world. Right? This world has not been redeemed yet. This world has not been made new yet. We still live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world with sin all around us, and a lot of bad things happen to good people. Sometimes it's not sin. Most of the time, I would say, it's really not sin. Is it sin in your experience and the thing that you're going through? Well, come up to me, and we'll pray and ask God if you're full of sin. You know, you know if you have unrepented sin. You know if you're living in habitual sin. This isn't that difficult. It's not that difficult. And if it's sin, just get it out. Jesus gave you the power to get it out. Walk by faith over that sin. Right? But a lot of things happen. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. So many people, something bad happens to them, and they just, why did God allow this to happen to me? He didn't allow it. It's just this world we live in. It's this world we live in. And even though this bad thing has happened to you, God can cause all things to work together for good. God doesn't cause the bad things, but he can turn it into good if we love him and those that love him and are called by his name. By walking in faith, walking in confidence of who God is, of who God is. So we can't judge people. 
We can't judge people's righteousness. We can't judge their, their actions based on the experience that they're going through. You can't judge people for that. You can't say, well, you know, the Galatians says that whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap, and you're reaping some, some bad stuff in your life, so you must have sowed something. See, that, that's, look at, look at what it says in, in, in John 9. 9, 1 through 5. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Okay, gotta figure, get this in your mind. This guy is blind from birth. Okay? And the disciples, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that was born blind? Aren't you glad that none of our questions are in, in the Bible? Think about this. This man was born blind. And they wanted to know who sinned, the man? So that means that he had a sin when he was a baby in the womb. Or the parents. That makes no sense whatsoever. Jesus must have been like, oh, the guy, how, can a, how can a baby in the womb sin? And Jesus answered. And so see, these disciples, all they knew was get good, do good, get good, do bad, get beat. All they knew was sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. Someone must have done something. Somebody must have done something to make this man be born blind. And Jesus answered, neither. Neither. So who was it? Was it the mother and the father? No. Was it the man, the baby in the womb? No, it was neither of them. Neither. The man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be, re- should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is the day. The night is coming when no man, no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And we know that we now, there was only one glimpse when the light went out, and that was on Calvary. Jesus says we are now the light of the world. Notice that Jesus said that he, the man didn't sin, the parents didn't sin, but he did not say that sin wasn't the issue. Who sinned? Adam. Adam sinned and brought all this on us. The first Adam brought us in to destruction. But thank God the Bible says that the second Adam, Jesus Christ, has redeemed us from what the first Adam has done. When he had said this, these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed his eye, the eyes of the blind man with the clay. You know, this blind man had some faith. Because think about this. You're standing there, you're blind, and all of a sudden you hear... <laughs> And he just stands, he says, I might be blind, but I know what someone spitting sounds like. And he said, anoint his eyes with the clay. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Shalom, which is translated sent, Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing, came back seeing. Notice that he had to do something. Faith is an action. Faith is confidence in what Jesus has said. Faith is 
causes you to move, to do something. And Jesus said, go. Go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. And there might be things that Jesus has told you to do, and you haven't done them yet. Do it. And here's another thing. If Jesus has told you to do something, that doesn't mean he's told everybody else to do it. Do it. He didn't tell everybody to go wash their eyes in the pool of Siloam, did he? If Jesus said for you to stop eating something, that you're not supposed to be eating it, don't tell everybody else that you're not supposed to be eating it. Right? I like my bacon. <laughs> you know? <laughs> don't, if, just, do, just be led by the Spirit. Do what Jesus is telling you to do. All right? And usually there is always an action. There's a corresponding action to, to, to faith. This man, that was his corresponding action, to let someone spit in the mud, put it on their, his eyes, and to go. To go. See, this was the issue. And I'm not going to... One of these days we're going to teach on the, on the book of Job because it is one of the most misunderstood and one of the most quote, quoted Bible uh, books of the Bible in the church. But this was, this was Job's friend's problem, was this law of sowing and reaping. He had these three friends, and they, and they over and over again said, Job, you must have sinned. You had to have done something. There has to be something in your life that is wrong. And Job kind of replied to, to him and said, he said, he said to him, you know, it would seem that way. Because if all of your kids, your ten kids were killed like that, if all your sheep were either killed or stolen, all your camels killed or stolen, all your goats killed or stolen, you go from being the richest man in, the, in, the, in that region to the poorest man in the region in one day, you would think, what have I done? What have I done? The only person, the only thing that Job had left was his wife. Satan didn't kill his wife. She was a lot of help. Now we know why he didn't kill her, because she came up to Job and says, why don't you just curse God and die? She was a lot of help in, in that. And he's, he's sitting there with, with boils. His skin's falling off his, his body. And you would start to think, you know, I, what did I do? And Joe, and they, and they keep on questioning him. What, there's got to be sin. There's got to be something that you've done over and over again. And Job says, do you think that if I'd done something bad enough to make all this happen to me, that I wouldn't taste it? That I wouldn't know? We know. You know. You know if it's sin. We don't have to dwell on that. He says, don't you think I'd taste it? And he defended his righteousness. And we do the same thing. We come to people, we try to be well-meaning. Well, you know, God's doing this to you because you've sinned. You must have sinned. He killed your kid. He did this, this. You, there must be sin in your life. God wouldn't have done it. He wouldn't have allowed it if sin wasn't in your life. That's the law of sowing and reaping. We, under, we understand that. But some things happen that are out of our control. What was the problem with Job? The problem with Job was he was under demonic attack. He was under demonic attack. 
And a lot of people don't understand this, but Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It's, it's written from the oldest time period in the Bible. It was before Abraham. There is no mention of Abraham's covenant. There's no mention of the Mosaic covenant. There is no covenant mention whatsoever. And Satan came and told God that you are trespassing because you don't have a right to protect Job. You don't have a right to protect Job. And what did God say? Everything he has is in your hands, but I'm not going to let you kill him. He had no protection. And what happens next? Abraham comes on the scene, and what does God do immediately? Makes a covenant with him. Makes a covenant for, so he can protect him. But, but, so they keep on questioning Job. You had to have done something. He says, no, I'm righteous, I'm righteous. And then what does Job do? He starts questioning the righteousness of God. He starts saying, question if God's good. You know, I'm righteous. I've done this, this, and this. Why, God has no right to do this to me. And how many of us in our, in our, in our times when we, we feel like there's no sin, there's nothing I've done wrong, why is this happening? We turn and start pointing our finger at God. We start condemning God. And who was doing it all the time? The Bible clearly says that it was Satan. It was Satan. So we don't, we don't point fingers at people. We don't point fingers at God. We never question God's goodness. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 in the Amplified. But when the law came in, look at what the law came to do. When the law came in, only to expand and increase the trespass, making it more apparent and exciting, exciting opposition. Right? So what did the law do? The law came in. That's the Amplified Version. The law came in. It didn't come in to make you holy, so, as so many people think. We need the law to be holy. No, that's not what the law came in to do. The law came in only to expand and increase sin. Making it more apparent and more exciting. Admit it. It's more exciting to do something that you know you're not supposed to do. That's what the law came to do. But look at this. But where sin increases and abounds, grace, God's unmerited favor, has surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded. So no matter what sin you might be in, God's grace superabounds that, super surpasses that. The grace of God cannot be stopped. It's his goodness. It's his mercy. Another cloud that can hinder us from receiving from God is the traditions of men. And we'll cover that one next week. We've got quite a few more to cover. But I just want to close in reminding you that healing the sun is always out. The rays of the sun are always there. And just because there might be clouds interfering from you receiving, from you being able to manifest your healing, that does not mean that God has not sent healing. Healing has already arose. 
The sun of righteousness has already rose with healing in its wings. And that means rays. And if any of these hindrances ring true, if the Spirit of God said, brought any of these to, to your mind, that, you know, we need to deal with this. We need to get this cloud out of the way. It can be evaporated just like that. Just like that. Amen? God is good all the time. And his goodness is going, is, dwells within us, the glory of God. Amen? You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.